0: Good evening, family. Ron Geyer and Time Insights back again, talking about humility. Our whole series, and I'm learning this, we're starting a new lesson on Saturday in our Bible study. And everything that we're teaching is trying to just point out sin. Uh, The church refuses to talk about sin. The church refuses to acknowledge sin. Matter of fact, we are trying to remove the word sin from our vocabulary. If we do that by calling things mistakes and errors, If we remove sin, then the next step will be to remove the deliverer of our sin, Christ. And that's where this is heading. Just if there is no sin, then we don't need a Savior. And that's what we're being inundated with. But no, we're going to talk about sin because man is a sinner. If you do not acknowledge what Christ has done for your sin, that he's paid the price for your sin, went to hell for your sin, and has defeated the power of sin in your life, if you do not acknowledge that, then you will remain in sin and you will spend eternity with sinners, as opposed to... Uh, spending eternity with us saints who have received forgiveness for our sin through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So we spoke about humility. We talked about humility is a key to revival. There will be no revival while there is pride. Pride is a blocker. It's a block. It's just a roadblock to America receiving revival, to America repenting of their sin. And we're not addressing any of these issues. That's why I'm confident, you know, that, that the hope for America is always Christ. But that's even being hidden. We're not acknowledging it. We're looking at Trump is going to help us. We're looking at the Republicans are going to help us. None of those people have the ability to solve our spiritual problems, right? Our problems are spiritual. They're not political. They're not social. They are spiritual in nature. The problem is sin. Hallelujah. All right. So we're talking about humility and I want to pick up I'm going to focus on humility and what it looks like in Christ. So, so important. So good. I'm telling you, as always, as in all things, Christ is our example. Amen? So let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 in the New American Standard Bible translation. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Paul says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on purpose. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility. Consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So that is a great verse, a great preface to what Paul wants to say there. He's going to introduce us to humility in Christ in a minute, but there's a lot there already going on. Uh, He talks about the fact that there is encouragement in Christ. He talks about that there is consolation of love, that for Philippians, they did operate in the fellowship of the Spirit. They showed affection and compassion. He goes, add to that, make my joy complete, all of that all of that encouragement in Christ, all of that consolation of love, all of that fellowship of the Spirit, all of that affection and compassion, all of that gave him a level of joy, and he's patting him on the back. But now he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, being united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. And then he says, go ahead and do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility, he says, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Paul is trying to get the, the church, the Philippians, to be in harmony, to be of one spirit. And so he's telling them that the way you're going to be able to do that, you're going to have to do it with humility. Right, All of that. Do it with humility. Consider one another as more important than yourselves. If you're full of pride, you're not going to have that thought. You're not going to be in harmony with the gospel. You're not going to be in harmony with what Paul's telling you. But with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And that's what fellowship, that's what Christianity is. That's what the communion of the saints is. We're supposed to be watching out for one another. It's not that they are better than we are. He doesn't say consider others better than yourselves. He just says consider others more important than you are concerning kingdom business. You know, I'm married, and my wife and I, we're the same age, and we both love the Lord Jesus. We got saved at the same time, and yet I live my life to serve her. I am living to help her. I am the dominant one physically, and I would dare say she is at least my equal intellectually, and of course she's a spiritual lady, and so there are gifts that she has that help me out. She's very good about warning me. Uh, she's very good about spiritual discernment. I mean, when you or a melancholy temperament, and you see a snake under every rock, you're going to be right occasionally, okay? And she's constantly warning me about things. You know, she's she's hilarious. She'll We get the mail and she'll shred everything, you know? We can't do our banking online. She doesn't want to do that. She doesn't trust any of those people. I get it. And she will shop madly on Wayfair, on Amazon, and all these other things. So my day is full of emails. I can tell my wife is doing her shopping on the computer. So, you know, Diane, all of this other stuff that you're doing to guard against us and protect us, I appreciate it. But when you spend all my money online, you're letting them know who we are anyway. They have this information. But she's hilarious. She's a good girl. But she is that way spiritually about me. She guards me spiritually. She's a very wise woman. Matter of fact, in our book, I have a whole chapter on women are wise. And I wrote that with my wife in mind. But I'm drifting. We're talking about humility. We're talking about humility promising unity in the body of Christ. We just read that. Philippians 2 uh, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility. Consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Here, Paul is attaching humility to oneness in the church. He tells us his joy would be complete if we would all be united in the Spirit. In the same spirit demonstrating the same love and purpose as members of the body of Christ. Then he tells us how to achieve that oneness, and you achieve that oneness through humility. No selfishness, no conceit, but considering others is more important to the kingdom than ourselves are. Place others before ourselves. Remember, we are living in a world of apostasy. It's where mankind loves themselves more than anything else. It's a huge challenge, and the word... Or rather, the world is unable to accept it. But the charge remains for the church not only to talk about this, but to demonstrate it as well. In today's church, we are living our lives as individuals instead of living as a community. Remember, when Paul wrote these letters, very rarely, you know, we were taught to read these letters as love letters from God. And he's talking to you personally, Ron. Well, that's nice, but technically he's speaking to the church as a body. Paul wasn't big on separating believers. He wasn't big on breaking us down into types of groupings or labels. And so he's writing letters. When he writes to the Philippians, he's writing to the entire church body. So in today's church, we are big, especially in America. We are living as individuals instead of living as a church community. Self-seeking, self-thinking, and self-supporting. We have neglected the picture that Christ painted for his church. We are flowing with the world into the same downhill slide towards utter destruction instead of flowing uphill with the Holy Spirit as our guide, our teacher, our mentor, and our power. Let's see how Jesus counted this slide into pride. I like that. This slide into pride that rules man's lives today. Let's see how he demonstrated a life of humility, which we ought to follow. These, was it, I think it's four verses, Second Philippians 5, 6, 7, and 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I love that right there. We'll come back to that. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even unto the death of the cross. You know, you've all heard that we're supposed to have the mind of Christ. First Corinthians two sixteen: For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And in Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Don't forget, let. That is a power word, one of the strongest words in the Bible. Let. Anytime you see the word let, whatever comes after it, you have the ability to do to perform, to control. Let this mind be in you. That is your decision. You will either let this mind of Christ be in you or you won't. You make that decision. You have the power to do that. First Corinthians 2.16 again. But we have the mind of Christ. Yeah, we all know that because we have the written word of God that we can have the mind of Christ because the mind of Christ is what's been written. We can think like Jesus. This is awesome. We have the mind of Christ. We can think like Jesus. We can speak like Jesus. Amen. And we can act like Jesus. That's the mind of Christ. Here, Paul goes a bit deeper into the mind of Christ. He not only tells us the what behind developing the mind of Christ, but he reveals the why behind Christ's heartfelt thinking as well. First, the admonition, the encouragement, the challenge, and the hope. Let this mind be in you. What mind? The Amplified Classic helps us here. Let this same attitude and same purpose and same humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility, the Amplified says. This is really good. You have to love God's word here. Paul not only tells us to be something, right? But now he's going to give us a real example of what he's telling us to do. This really fleshes out what Paul is saying. The mind of Christ is so much more than just one's thought life. The mind of Christ is so much more than just a house, a building, a structure, a place where we keep our thoughts. It's an attitude, the mind of Christ. It's an attitude. It's an active, impactful existence that defines our motives and our purposes. It clarifies them. It directs them. It even enables them, through God's grace, to be fulfilled in our lives. And ultimately, when you get stuck, you get lost, you go off course. You go to him. You follow Christ's example. He's always true, and he's always pure, and he's always perfectly wise. Check this out. Think. You can think like the creator of everyone's entire existence. That's the mind of Christ. You can partake in the thought process that loved the world. Wow. Right? The mind of Christ. Basically, God puts his thoughts down in the Bible. And therefore, our instruction, therefore, our edification, therefore, our rebuke, our chastisement, our encouragement, our perfection. The mind of Christ begins with humility. Let this same mind, attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you. If God says you can let that mind be in you, then you can take it to the bank that you can let that mind be in you. You are to be thinking like the Savior. You're thinking like not only the Savior, you're thinking like the Creator because the Creator is is the Savior. The mind that came up with salvation is also the mind that came up with creation. Wow. You can partake in the thought process that loved the world. You can share in the motivations of the creator of life. Are you getting this? The mind of Christ, you can experience the heart that decided, that chose to die for his fallen creation. (laughs) But the key point is, it's done from a position of humble service. You've got to catch that. Everything I just said, and I'm going to repeat it, it originates from a humble heart that wants to serve. If you can get that service aspect, I know my producer here, Karen, all the time she talks about serve, 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 and she demonstrates it. If you can get that down, the Bible just will open to you. I'm going to repeat this now. Think about You can think like the creator of everyone's entire existence. Think about that. The mind that's planned creation to combat God's what? Loneliness? I don't know. It was just uh, to, to fulfill God's demonstration of love, the desire to love us. But you can think like the creator. The thoughts that God thought, the thoughts that Christ thought before he created the world, you can have those same thoughts. Wow. You can partake in the thought process That loved that world. Isn't that amazing? You can share in the motivations of the creator of life. That is just off the charts. Let me flesh that out a tiny bit. You know, when a couple gets married and they decide to have children, it's the same thing. They're just looking for an outlet for their love to be manifested, they're just looking for the opportunity to raise someone in the right way in their image. And God gives us the ability to produce that life. It is so fascinating. But the key point is, it's done from a position of humble service. Not authority. You got to understand that. Who has all authority? Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. So where's the authority? Jesus has it. And yet, this is so good. I just read it. We're going to read it again in Philippians 2. We're going to break it down. Christ serves from a position of humility. One day we're going to get that Christ's greatness was never meant to rule. Christ's greatness was meant to serve. It was always for service. And he gives us that same opportunity. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must become the servant of all. The essence of Christ's greatness isn't ruling from above. It's serving from beneath. You have got to get that. So important. Well, personally, me not having arrived, I am pointing towards there. I understand it. I'm heading there. I'm going there. And the greatest opportunity for me to serve or to learn how to serve or to demonstrate service is in my marriage. Now, I'm going to make a comparison here, and I pray that you get it, Father God. Make sure they understand what you wrote. What I'm telling them, Father God, is they get the revelation of Christ's service and the revelation of the husband's authority. Any gift that I've been given, it's not for me, it's for you. Any spirit of hospitality God has placed in my wife Diane isn't for her, it's mainly for me and for others. The praise and the glory one may garner from operating in any gift is God's, it's not ours. Humility knows that, pride fights for it. You've gotta know the difference, this is really good folks, you need to listen to this twice. (laughs) Pride said that. <laughs> I used to sound so humble, I'm proud of it. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm sorry. I'm having fun. So, Paul. Paul says, Let Christ's mind be in you. Pride fights for that place in one's mind. No, let Christ have it, guys. I saw a post the other day. Uh, Spurgeon. I love Spurgeon. It was something about quit hanging on to pride. You have nothing to be proud about. Look some more at the humility of Christ. Then you catch Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, you didn't do anything. God made you. Nothing you've done is of yourself. God did it. So you've got nothing to be proud about. So let go of it. So here we go. Verse six. This is so good. Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be called equal with God. So we see that right there. Jesus knew who he was. He's equal with God. Jesus is God, right? Okay. And so he knew that. Who being in the form of God. Thought it not robbery. He wasn't stealing anything. He wasn't assuming anything that wasn't his. He is the creator of all things. If Christ was to be proud, he had a reason. He was God. He still is God. Yet, he humbled himself in the face of that truth. Most pride is empty. It's based on fantasy. What's that phrase? It ain't bragging if you can do it. <laughs> well, Christ can do it, and he did do it. But he still chose to remain humble. Don't forget get? He is God. He is everything that ever was, that ever will be. He controls it all. And he is God. Yet he is humble. That is fascinating. If he can humble himself, then you can humble himself too. Humility isn't something that you're supposed to be grasping for every now and then. It's something that you become. It's the glue that secures your relationship with the creator. He is, you aren't. He does, you can't. He will, you won't. He is our all in all. The sooner we acknowledge that, the more quickly we can rely upon him and get delivered from any pride. We use this verse in Philippians all the time to teach husbands how to use their authority to serve their wives. Yes, wives are to fit in with the plans of their husbands. Husbands are not to fit in with the plans of their wives. Wives are to fit in with the plans of their husbands. As a marriage partner, she is to submit to his lordship in the home. In the olden days, Sarah called Abraham Lord. Yes, that's the way they saw them. Yet the true man of God, the true Christian husband, will never have to insist on his right to rule. And I say this humbly. I don't think I've ever said I'm in charge. You need to follow me. That's just not me. My wife and I, we're a team. Push comes to shove. I am the head, but we're partnered in this together. She has strengths. I have strengths. My leadership, my authority recognizes those saints, and I put them to work. So many times we've been in churches and we've been given gifts by God, all of us, and yet those gifts are for service, and yet in the churches I've been in, very rarely does a leadership team connect the gift with a position for that person. They just have a need, and so they slap anybody up there that's willing to volunteer. No, you put people in their office. You put them in the gifts. If you've got a teacher, you have them teach classes. You don't have a musher. You know, if you've got someone that's given to hospitality, you put them in charge of the, uh, the food service area. If you've got somebody that is good with audiovisual stuff, right, you know, you can put him on the prayer team, but you darn well better make sure he's running your cameras and stuff. We need to be sensitive to that. You know, so many times the church is in trouble because we're all out of position. Now, back to husbands, most men make it difficult for their wives to do that, to submit, Yet the picture Christ presents is quite clear. Like the husband, Christ had the authority. We agree with that. We just read it, right? He didn't think it was robbery to be called equal with God. And yet that picture of Christ, it's clear. He has authority. But Jesus understood that this authority is a tool to serve, not a weapon to rule. You got to get that, husbands. Your authority is a tool whereby you serve your wife, not a weapon whereby you rule your home. Greatness isn't found in ruling, it's manifested in serving. Can you get this? You need to read Philippians 2, 5-8, over and over and over and over again. And catch it, this is so good. And Jesus didn't lay down his authority to serve us. He used his authority to serve it. He didn't say, well, I'm not going to use my authority. I'm in charge, but I'm not going to use it. I'm going to forget about it. No, he used it to serve us. In God's kingdom, that's the proper use of authority. The one who has the authority uses it to become the servant. Verse 7, I love it. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Time and time again, Jesus admonished people, those that he healed or delivered, not to let others know who he was. He wanted the Holy Spirit to do that. He wanted man to learn to hear the revelation of who he was, the Messiah, from the heart of the Spirit, not from the mouth of man. This is all such good stuff. He wished to establish that principle. Rarely would he even acknowledge himself as such. Only when he was pressed would he confirm the truth that he was the Messiah. It was of paramount importance to his mission that he relate to man as closely as he could. Right? Was made in the likeness of man. Yes, Jesus became a man, but he just didn't become any man. By the route that he took, he made sure he would represent every man. He became a man as far removed from his divine status as possible He just didn't become a man. He became a man who was despised. He became a man who was hated, a man who was shamed. He became a poor man. He had to borrow a bed to be born. He had to borrow a grave to be buried. He died a criminal's death. Not one man has tasted the depth of Christ's humility. He lowered himself to the absolute lowest depth of human society. And when the work on the cross was finished, he went even lower still. He walked into the region of the damned, where rebellious man would make his eternal home. And he led captivity captive. He triumphed over death. He triumphed over sin. And in his role as the son of man, he defeated every foe that man would ever face. Because after all, he came to serve. That's why he came to save us from our sin. He came to serve. He came to suffer. He came to save that which was lost. Understand, at no point Jesus was never not God. He was always God. But he took upon himself the likeness of man anyway. God himself. He did this for us. God did this for us. It's a wonderful revelation. Probably one that our human minds will never fully understand The depth of God's humility in Christ. Yes, God himself chose to die for me. Verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is so good. You cannot overestimate what Christ did for you. The humility that he suffered willfully to make sure that you got what you needed by his service. We love you. Hope you enjoyed this. This is really good. God bless you. We'll see you next week.